Over the past few years, I have asked you guys to give me a rating and review. And if you've done that, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. It's so helpful. But if you haven't, I get it. I kind of get it. Like, I'm asking you to go and click on this thing and then like, how do I do it? And then I have to come up with some kind of a review and I don't know what to say and I'll do it later, right? I, I get it. I've, I've kind of been there before. I, I know exactly how you feel. And so I'm not asking you to do that now, okay? What I'm asking you to do now is so easy. Anybody can do it and it literally takes like one second. Go into whatever you're listening to, whether it's Apple Podcast or Spotify or whatever platform you're listening on, they all have it, and just click on the subscribe button. Just subscribe. It takes one second. You don't have to be creative. You don't have to come up with a review and write it all out and you know be self-conscious about it. Just hit that subscribe button. That would be so, so, so impactful for me. And if you're enjoying this and getting a lot out of it, that would mean the world to me. It really would. And it's so easy. Anyone can do it. Like, let's literally stop listening right now. Stop listening. Go and do it. That's how much it means to me. Nobody ever asks you to leave their show and stop listening for anything. But I'm asking you to stop listening right now. Go and just quickly subscribe. Come right back and take a listen. That would mean the world to me. I would really appreciate it. You guys are awesome. And I really appreciate it. Thanks. Sometimes you don't know what you don't know, right? When I was starting off in real estate, I didn't always know what questions to ask. I wasn't sure what I should be asking or what I don't know. Like, how can you ask a question about something that you don't even know what it is? And so that's what this live can be very, very useful for. If nothing else, just be a fly on the wall and listen to other people's questions, get the answers that I'm giving them, and it can be really, really helpful. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on Just Start Real Estate. I appreciate you being here, guys. It's it's really fun to be here with you and bring you another one of my live Q&A replays. This was a really fun one. We had a unique situation uh, where I, I basically debated whether or not somebody called me the Yoda of real estate. And I said, you know what? Yoda's sort of ugly and short. Like, what if I'm the Luke Skywalker? But you know what? Then I realized, hold on a second. Yoda is the man. He taught Luke everything. So anyways, this is part of a discussion that we had on the show, which is completely not real estate, but was interesting and fun. So we talked about it. We also talked real estate, guys. So we talked about some advanced negotiation uh, strategies when it comes to sellers trying to use the, you know, phantom verbal offer that they got from some other investor that's higher than yours. And what do you do? And how do you fight that uh, objection? We also talked about what to do if you have a lot of money, 100K sitting in the bank, and you don't have a lot of time because you have a job that takes a lot of your time. Like, what do you do with that 100K? How do you use it and get the most returns out of it if you don't have a lot of time? And we also talked about some real granular stuff like what kind of flooring to put in a rental if you want it to last and hold its value and maybe even increase the value of the rental. Like what kind of flooring makes the most sense in a rental? We talked about that too. So we went everything from flooring in a rental to Luke Skywalker versus Yoda, which was complete nerd argument or discussion that I was having. So, uh, but this was a lot of fun guys. I hope you enjoy it. I give you my latest Q and a. All right. We are live. Thank you for joining me here. Uh, I am here every Wednesday 
at 7 p.m. And we used to be strictly on Facebook, but now we're on Facebook, we're on YouTube, we're on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, we're everywhere. So uh, wherever you watch things online and whatever social media platform that you prefer, that's where we can be found. Uh, but I will be here every Wednesday at 7 p.m., 4 p.m. Pacific. I'm excited to be here with you. I'm excited to be on Instagram. Uh, that's new this week. We weren't on Instagram before, so now we are on Instagram. So if that's where you like to hang out, then we are here for you. All right, guys. Uh, if you don't know who I am, if you're new to me, if you've never seen me online before, my name is Mike Simmons. I'm a real estate investor in Michigan. I started my real estate investing uh, business back in 2008, and there was a lot of crazy things happening in 2008. We had just like hit this bubble right before that and everything sort of crashed and it was really ugly. And that's when I got started. And it was actually a really good time to start. I didn't know it because I was so new. I didn't really understand what the advantages were there. Uh, but there were advantages to being involved in real estate back then. <clears throat> there were some disadvantages too. And I was working a full-time job and I treated uh, my business like a side hustle because that's exactly what it was. I made my money in my day job and then I was trying to build something in real estate so that I could um, kind of escape that nine to five, right? I was, had my escape plan and I was trying to execute it. And I was doing a lot of things wrong and I was trying to do it on my own, which is the biggest mistake of all, trying to do really anything new on your own, anything that, you know, anybody that you see out there having success in business and sports and finance, whatever it is, chances are someone taught them how to do it or someone gave them uh, some sort of mentorship or, or structure that helped them uh, be a little bit better in that. So uh, that's what I eventually found. I, I joined a mastermind called Seven Figure Flipping. And I met some folks in there. One person in particular, his name is Andy. He opened up the kind of the playbook for me. He showed me what he was doing in his business. And I really went from trying to figure things out on my own and, and doing an okay job, but not a good enough job to, to really quit my job and be successful in real estate. But once I met Andy and he sat down and showed me exactly what he was doing in his business and how he was able to produce multiple seven figures in his business, um, everything changed for me. And I was able to go from doing a deal here and there, maybe one or two a month, which I thought was actually pretty good at the time. I scaled that up to do 10, 12, and 15 deals in some months. Uh, within 12 months, I did it in a short period of time because Andy sat down and showed me what worked, what didn't work, what he had tried that was successful for him and was able to help him produce higher revenue. And some of the things that crashed and burned didn't work so good for him. And I just avoided those things. I just became really good at following somebody else's example. I always say, if you can use, if you can find someone successful and use their hindsight, right? We all say hindsight's 2020. So if we can use their hindsight as our foresight, we can do some amazing things. And I was able to do some amazing things in my business. And since then, I have been trying to do the exact same thing for other people. I was doing it for the most part inside of the seven figure flipping program. And I still do. Uh, but now I'm doing I'm doing that for for you guys, for people who follow me online, for people who follow my podcast, which is called Just Start Real Estate. If you want to check that out, go check it out and let me know what you think. I'm happy to hear. If you want to email me, you can always do that too. You can email me at Mike at juststartrealestate.com and let me know what you think of the podcast. Let me know what you think of the lives. And frankly, you can send me questions. If you're not here live right now, you can send me questions uh, on, you can send me questions on email. You can DM me. I've got people on Instagram saying, hi, uh, first deal show says, hi, hey, how are you doing? Thanks for being here. 
guys, this is a lot of fun. And, and people do send me questions throughout the week. Sometimes, you know, we get people logging on live here and we answer your questions live for you and we'll do that. So if you're watching this on replay or you're listening to it on my podcast, join us live on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Right now is the place. This is the place to be. You can ask me questions and I will respond to them. I will answer your questions live and we can have a lot of fun. And we can really dig into some stuff and hopefully get you unstuck if you're stuck or just answer questions to kind of help you do even better in your business if you're already crushing it. But like I said, I get questions throughout the week. We bring them here. We kind of supplement the live questions uh, with some of the questions we get through the week because I used to answer them one-on-one, -on -one, right? Or like one-off. Somebody would send me an email or a DM and I would answer their question. And then inevitably, a couple of days later, somebody would ask me a real similar question or maybe the same question. And I would answer it for them. And then somebody else would ask the same question, answer for them. So I bring that here for... So number one, I can answer it once. And all of you can have that... Um, you know, the experience of getting the answer to that question, because sometimes you don't know what you don't know, right? When I was starting off in real estate, <clears throat> I didn't always know what questions to ask. I wasn't sure what I should be asking or what I don't know. Like, how can you ask a question about something that you don't even know what it is? And so that's what this live can be very, very useful for. If nothing else, just be a fly on the wall and listen to other people's questions, get the answers that I'm giving them, and it can be really, really helpful. Okay, let's dive into today's questions. First question from Adam Whitney. Adam, what's up, buddy? One of my good friends, Adam Whitney, also a very successful real estate investor. He says, how do you determine if you wholesale or wholesale a property? It's a great question. And the way that, and it might be different for other people, but the way that we decided our business, there's, it's unfortunately most questions boils down to, it depends. But I'll tell you what it depends on in my in my business. We look when we get a property under contract because I mostly do wholesaling. When we get a property under contract, we look at all of the possible exit scenarios for us. And for us, the the possible exit scenarios are wholesale, wholesale, rental, or um, land contract. As we're doing some of that now, or a flip. And we don't do a lot of flips, but it's still a possible exit. And then we determine what we think we can profit on each exit. And usually we look at it in the order that we prefer to do it. And so a lot of times that is wholesale, wholesale, land contract, flip. Flipping is the last thing we want to do usually. And so <clears throat> everything for us, no matter what we think the most profit margin is going to be, we always start by treating it like a wholesale like we're going to assign the contract. And we do that for a couple of reasons. Number one, if we can get uh, what we think we can make as a wholesale, as a wholesale. In other words, if we think putting it out to our buyers list and assigning the contract, if we think that we can make as much as we would wholesaling it, like on the MLS, then we always try to wholesale first. Because also we want to make sure that our buyers who are on our buyers list, who have, you know, a lot of them purchased dozens, in some cases, maybe over a hundred properties from us. We want to give them that feeling that they're still a little bit special, right? We're not just bypassing them and going straight to the MLS. Because what we know as wholesalers is if we're selling to a house flipper, we know that they would rather that property not go on the MLS if at all possible. And sometimes they'll pay more to keep it off the MLS. And so here's what it looks like in our business. <clears throat> we get that contract day one, 
we send it out as a wholesale to our buyers list. And we ask a lot. We typically send out properties at way more. Yeah, I'll just say it. Way more than we really think we, we're going to realistically get. We ask for more. Okay. And a lot of times we'll get offers. Sometimes we won't. But if we don't get an offer, or if we don't get the offer that we want, We'll wait a couple of days. We'll send it out again with a note on it or a message that says, hey, here's this property again. You know, we may reduce the price a little bit and we'll say, listen, this is the last chance to see this property off market as of tomorrow or as of Friday or as of Thursday, whatever day we're, we're in right now. It's usually a couple of days later. I'll say this is going to be put on the MLS in a couple of days, right? On Friday or Monday or whatever the day is. It's going on the MLS. This is your last chance to make an offer on this property before it goes on the MLS. And a lot of times that will uh, get us some offers. That'll get people who are sort of on the fence or maybe they thought we were asking too much. They'll come up the fence and they'll make their best offer. And <clears throat> if it's a solid offer and it's getting us close to what we think a wholesale price would be, we'll just wholesale it. It's easier. We would rather wholesale, honestly, most everything. But if we don't get the offer that we want, or if we think there's definitely still money on the table to be had, then we will in fact put it on the MLS. And so we're not bluffing. When we tell our buyers, hey, listen, you've got a couple of days, this is going on the MLS, and then you're going to be bidding against everybody who has the MLS. We mean it. We put it on the MLS. And what happens is once it goes on the MLS, it goes from our buyers list, which is four or 5,000 people roughly, to tens of thousands of people, right? Because so many people have access to the MLS, either themselves or through a, a, a realtor or something. So our buyers list swells up, you know, 10, 20 X when we go on the MLS, which means a lot of times we get more than we will from our buyers list. And we know that that's why our buyers list sees a price that represents something close to what we think we can get on the MLS. Because once it goes on the MLS, usually it becomes, especially in this market, it becomes a bidding war. And so it goes wholesale first. If we just get a killer, killer offer that's just amazing, we'll sell it as a wholesale. If we don't, it goes on the MLS. If we don't like the offers we're getting there, now we start seriously considering it as a, you know, buy it and land contract it out or flip it. And if we think that we can make more money that way, that's the way that we'll go with it. So we just sort of have a progression. We look at all of it and then we go through a progression of what we really want. We want to wholesale it. If we can't wholesale it, we'll wholetail it. If we don't like what we're seeing there, then we'll look at you know the long-term strategy, which is purchase it and then sell it on land contract, right? We don't get as much money upfront in the short term. However, you do get good uh, down payments when you do that. We do get good down payments and they, they sometimes they're close to what we would get as an assignment fee. So we sort of look at that down payment as like the assignment fee. It's kind of a wash sometimes. So we get that down payment, but then we get payments every single month. And so that helps support my company's long-term strategy. But if for some reason that doesn't make sense, and the reason why it might not make sense as a land contract is the price point's just too high. It just doesn't make a lot of sense for us because it's, you know our, our buy box for a land contract is somewhere between, let's just say 50 and $150,000. That's Michigan numbers, obviously. It would be different if I was in California or New York, but in Michigan, that's what it is. If it's more than that, a lot of times it really doesn't make sense to land contract it out. So we'll probably flip it. If wholesaling and wholesaling didn't get us what we want, then we'll we'll downgrade to flipping it, which isn't a it's not a downgrade, but it's in our business, it's not preferred. And so we look at it as the last option, but it is an option. I flipped houses for six years. I can do it. It's just not what I would necessarily always want to do, but I can't 
can do it. So that's sort of how we go through that progression, uh, Adam. Hopefully, I think that I answered your question. I may have even given you more than what you were thinking I was going to give you, but there you go. Um, <laughs> Adam, Mike is the Yoda of real estate. Um, I prefer to be the Han Solo or Luke Skywalker. Yoda, he's awesome, but he's short and kind of ugly. Um, but it's funny you say that. I literally just got done watching uh, the original three Star Wars uh, movies. So uh, I'm, I'm totally in the, in the uh, Star Wars mindset right now. But let's just call me the Luke Skywalker. That might be the better way to go. I'll let you rephrase that. Yoda is a compliment, but kind of ugly. All right. Next question. I'll get off the Yoda thing. Uh, next question. I have 100K saved up that I would like to invest in real estate. I have a full-time job and not a ton of free time. What would you suggest to maximize my returns? Um, if you don't have a lot of time and you've got money and you want to maximize your returns and you want it to be kind of passive, my suggestion <clears throat> excuse me, would be either um, rental real estate, like the Burr method, like just buy properties, get them rented, um, rehabbed and rented, and, and then refinance out of it and move on to the next one. You can do that. That's great. If you want real passive and you have 100K, you could take that 100K and, and like, you know, do your due diligence and make sure that you're getting the most out of it. But you could put it into a syndication. Somebody who's buying um, uh, storage facilities or multifamily or trailer park communities, that kind of thing, you can invest in that as a syndication and get a really nice return. And then usually in like three to five years when it's sold or when they refinance out, you get your money back plus some. So, you know, you can end up making 12, 15, 18% on syndications. That's a really strong way to use money, especially if you don't have time because you're just going along for the ride. You're an investor. You you know, you put your money into that syndication and it just starts working for you every every month. And then, like I said, in three to five years, usually there's some sort of a, a back end payout. Either you get your money back or whatever, right? There's something on the back end. So, I mean, that's what I would do. Or like I said, if you have some time and you really want to be have a little bit more of an um, active or you want to be involved, more, I shouldn't say active, but you want to be involved more, then you could definitely go the rental real estate route. I don't know that I would necessarily recommend flipping or wholesaling if you don't have a lot of time because it does take time. Um, you can do it. Now, if you came to me and said, listen, you're supposed to be the Yoda of real estate, right? I don't have a lot of time. I've got hundred K and I want to be a house flipper. How do I do it? How do I make it work with my job? I can tell you because I did it for like six years. I flipped houses while I worked a full-time job. So you can definitely do it. I can show you how to do it. But if you don't want to work in the morning before you go to work and then work your entire lunch hour, and then when you get off work at, let's just say five o'clock, go and look at houses and hire contractors and, and run your real estate business from five till nine or 10 or 11 or 12. Like if you don't want <clears throat> to be doing this in all of your free time, weekends, nights, weekend, you know, holidays, everything, if you don't want that, then I would suggest that you don't do flipping or wholesaling. But if you wanted to do flipping and wholesaling with your job, you could absolutely do it. Like I said, I did it. So I could show you, I know exactly how to do it. And I even know what I did wrong. So I could probably, you could do it much more effectively than I did if you had someone showing you what to do, who, right, hindsight <clears throat> as your foresight, you can do a lot more. So it could be done. But I would say rental real estate would be a great option. Um, Short-term rentals could be a really good option for you too. Um, 
it's a little bit more active. You might have to find someone, hire someone to help with the hospitality. But honestly, long-term rentals or investing in a uh, participating in a syndication, someone who's buying, um, you know, commercial real estate or multifamily, that kind of thing, and participating in their deals, that's real passive, and that's a great way to use that that hundred thousand dollars, in my opinion. So that's the answer. Um, <laughs> so Adam Whitney said maybe Bill is Yoda. Ah, boy. Now, see, I don't want to get too caught up in this mine and Adam's debating Star Wars here. But if I make Bill Yoda, <clears throat> Yoda taught Luke, right? And I, I taught Bill. So, all right, screw it. I'm the Yoda. That's fine. I'll be Yoda. Make Bill the Chewbacca or somebody like that. That'd be good. He's not watching. It'd be so much more fun if he was watching and he was here. But, you know, I'll make fun of him from afar. All right. Next question. Best flooring recommendation for a rental property. Will uh, will tenants take care of hardwood? Question mark. Is it better uh, long term? Does hardwood increase the value of rent? Well, I can tell you this. People you people put in when you say hardwood. I'm just going to clarify a couple things. There is hard hardwood, like literally hardwood. There's um, laminate, and there's vinyl that looks like hardwood, and that could be really good too. In a rental, if you put in actual, like actual hardwood, it will hold up way better than carpeting. And for that matter, laminate and vinyl will also hold up better than carpeting. People put in carpeting a lot of times because it's cheap, but it's easy to rip up and replace. Carpeting, when when your tenant leaves, it's like whoop, rip it up. It's out in a couple of hours. You can lay the new carpeting in a few hours. You're done, ready to go, clean as a whistle. If you put in real hard wood and you know there's a leak somewhere that lasts for a while, hard wood will buckle and it could be very, very expensive to fix. Um, if they stain it somehow, it can be very expensive to sand and, and restain. So I, I think hardwood, I would probably avoid. <clears throat> Will it make it worth more? I don't necessarily think so, because I think th probably the two best options are laminate hardwood, which is basically engineered hardwood. It's fake hardwood, but nowadays <clears throat> it looks really, really good. And some people, even in higher end homes, will choose laminate because it holds up so well. It can get wet. You can drop things on it. It just it's like bulletproof and it's really, really easy to maintain and it lasts forever. So laminate hardwood can be really great, especially if you use something that's halfway decent grade. Um, there's also, like I said, vinyl that looks like hardwood. I've used it once. It wasn't a rental. It was a flip, but it looks like wood. Vinyl is you want to talk about you can't hurt it like you really can't but even if you do that vinyl stuff that looks like wood you can pull up sections of it like you can they're basically like planks but they're like soft and kind of rubbery you can pull one up and put a new one down and it's super easy and super cheap so i think vinyl hardwood like engineered hardwood and um i'm sorry vinyl and engineered hardwood those are the two things that i would probably suggest but um you know, carpeting's fine. Just realize carpeting is going to be completely useless once your tenant leaves, especially if they're there for two, three, four, five years or more. Like the carpeting is going to be toast, most likely. If they stay for a year, you probably could clean it and still use it, maybe in a couple of years. But, you know, you get more than a couple of tenants in there for two or three or four years, it's going to have to be replaced, where I don't think you'll have to replace laminate and I don't think you'll have to replace vinyl. 
So I, I tend to use those two because people do spill things. There's accidents. They have, if they, if you allow pets, they could pee on the, you know, peeing on the carpeting is way worse than peeing on, you know, vinyl or, or laminate because it just wipes right up. It's no big deal. Real hardwood while nice. And you may put it in your personal house because that's, you know, you want that level of quality. I don't, I would certainly not put hardwood in a rental that much. I can tell you if it already has hardwood, that's the question. Do you, do you refinish it and stain it? Yeah, probably. I wouldn't put vinyl or anything over actual hardwood, but I sure as heck would not lay hardwood. If there's like carpeting there and you pull it up and it's just like, you know, uh, plywood underneath, there's no actual flooring. I would probably choose between engineered hardwood and um, vinyl. Those would be the two that I suggest. Okay, next question. Let's see. Uh, Yeah, I'm still Yoda. That's that's fine with me. I'll I'll be Yoda. He is ugly, but I'll take it. Okay. Uh I'm looking at the Cleveland area for my first rental. Cleveland, probably a lot like the Detroit area. My concern is it seems like Cleveland is part of the snow belt. It is. How badly am I likely to get burned by snow removal cost if I buy in this area? You're not. You're not going to get burned by snow removal cost because like you your tenant should be removing the snow. And if they're not, if it's like vacant for some reason, <clears throat> then you have to remove it. But I've had rentals in Michigan and we're definitely in the snow belt. Uh, and if we're not, we should be, I don't know exactly where the snow belt starts and ends, but we get tons of snow. No, it's not a big deal. Matter of fact, I, I have never had to deal with snow in any of my rentals, as long as they're rented. Now, when they're vacant, like I said, you definitely have to remove that snow. Um, and, you know, honestly, if I had a tenant that wouldn't remove the snow and the city was like, mad or like there was an issue uh, the tenant's gone like i'm getting rid of them if the, I, but you got to make that their responsibility don't take that on i mean it, that's an expense and you know if it costs you a hundred bucks a month during the winter to remove snow and you are responsible my tenant's rent would go up by a hundred bucks like i'm going to re- i'm going to get that money back i'm not going to just spend the money to do it and not recoup that it's going to come out of rent or the or the tenants are going to do it so no, I, I don't even think like, honestly, I've never even heard that question before about having a concern about snow and getting burned by snow removal costs. I've never and I live in Michigan. I know a lot of landlords around the country that live in snow. I No one's ever even said that to me. I've never heard that. So I wouldn't. That's not even a thing. Like, don't worry about it. That's not because they're going to do it. And if you decide that you want to do it so you know it's done, raise the rent by the amount that it costs you to remove the snow. That's that's exactly what I would do. So that's easy for me. Okay, next question. Uh, let's see. If uh, I'm new to investing and with the current prices against current rents, I'm finding it difficult to get properties to cash flow. Any thoughts? Well, I don't know where you're investing. And I don't know where you're finding houses. Okay. Um, but let's just assume, you know, you're not in a horrible... Re- like... If you're in Southern California or even a lot of California for that matter, I don't think rentals work. There's some areas that rentals just don't work because the, as like I said earlier, I don't buy houses to sell on land contract over a certain price because the math, the finances don't work. And so if you're in a market where the house prices are just too high and then rentals just won't work, you're going to have to go to a different market. Um, But if you're in a market where house prices should, you know, the houses should cash flow as rentals, then my next question would be, where are you finding your houses? Are you finding them on the MLS, you know, where you're paying top dollar? 
maybe that's your problem. You should be going to wholesalers or maybe going direct to sellers who are motivated, right? Sellers with motivation to sell, like go directly to them or go to the wholesalers who are going directly to them. That would be my suggestion if you're in a market where rentals should work. Now, listen, we're in a market right now where house prices are high. We know that. Everybody knows that. It's not a secret. You can still get houses, I promise you. My company is a wholesaling company, and we still are finding a lot of houses every month that we're buying at a deep discount, and they cash flow. We can wholesale them and make a wholesale fee. Like It all works. You just have to sometimes change your approach or maybe get a little bit more aggressive on the looking. It's not as easy to find great deals maybe now, but it's not significantly harder. It's just a little bit harder. So go to the wholesalers that are that are crushing it or go directly to sellers. Or if you're doing that and you're still not finding good deals, maybe your market just isn't great for rentals. Like nationally, you should be able to achieve what they call the 1% rule. In any market, if you can't get the 1% rule, in my opinion, do not buy that house as a rental. And if you don't know what the 1% rule, the 1% rule is this basically. Whatever you pay for that house plus renovation, if it needs it, okay? Let's just say, for example, for easy numbers, you buy a house for 80000 and you put 20000 into it to renovate it. You're all in for 100000 The 1% rule says you need to be able to charge 1% of that 100000 that you're all in. You need to be able to charge that for rent to make it achieve the 1% rule which in this case would be $1000. If you can't rent that house for at least $1000, that's not a good it's not a good rental. It's not a good deal for you. It's not a good investment property. In Michigan, we can get the 2% rule. So that same scenario, buy it for 80, put 20 into it, I'm all in for 100. A lot of times we can rent that for 2000 or somewhere between 1000 and 2000, getting close to 2000. So I had at one point about 25 rentals and most of them we're achieving the 2% rule or very close to it. If you can't get that, then the only other option, let's just say you've gone to the wholesalers, you've gone directly to seller, like you're not finding a good deal, no matter what you do, nothing cash flows. Go to a different market. You just, you need to go to a different market. In this world that we're in now, it's never been easier to own real estate outside of your home market. It's it's really not that hard. And there are companies, um, one that comes to mind that I've used that I think is really, really good. I've actually um, interviewed on my podcast, the owner of the company, it's called Roofstock. Roofstock is a marketplace to buy houses and for rental purposes. And they vet the houses, they do inspections on the houses. I'm not positive. They used to give a rent guarantee, meaning if you buy it through their marketplace, they will guarantee the rent for up to one year. I don't know if they're still doing that, so I don't want to necessarily guarantee that's happening, but they used to. And it's a it's a great service and a great um, website to use to buy rental properties because a lot of the properties on their site, most of them are turnkey. They've already been inspected. They've already been renovated. And in a lot of times, they're already rented. So you buy them and they're cash flowing day one, Okay. That's what I would do. If I can't find a property in my market, I'm going on to Roofstock and I'm finding houses there that I can rent. And also Roofstock also makes sure that there's professional property management in place. And so everything has been done. You just have to pay the money and and you have a house that's cash flowing. That's what I would do if I was in your case or I was in your um, shoes in your case. Okay, uh, let's see. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I'm getting caught up in in um, I'm getting caught up in Adam. Okay, Corey. Hey, Corey, what's up, buddy? 
Wholesaling in Tampa, running into issues with sellers telling me they have a verbal offer from another investor for the amount for an amount higher than mine. Am I com? Let's see. I am combating by asking when they last heard from the other investor making that offer. Am I combating by asking? Um, let's see. And it looks like the rest of the question got cut off a little bit. So I, I think what you're saying is I, I hear what you're saying. So they may you got a, they're saying they have a verbal offer from another investor and you're basically want to know are you being combative if you ask them when they last heard from the investor making that offer um no and i think you know for us a lot of times this my my partner is our sales person in my company and there's a lot of ways that you can do sales and some sales people are you know they're they they don't have an aggressive style and but my partner does sometimes have an aggressive style so in this case i'm sure he would say well listen i'm ready to sign the contract right now if you already got this high offer why didn't you sign the contract why is there something wrong did they not want to sign it right now i mean I, i'll sign it now here's the deal though if you let me walk out this door and we don't sign this contract that's totally fine you can do whatever you want at your house and you should get the most money that you can possibly get. However, I have every right to not make this offer tomorrow or even later today if you call me back. So if you think this other investor is legit and you think they can close and you think they're going to honor this price even, even though they left, if you think that's going to happen and you'd rather roll the dice and see if they're actually going to perform then do that. You should do that. I will perform. I close on 100 deals a year. My company does over 100 deals a year. I'm ready to sign the contract now. We're going to close quickly and you're going to get your money. But if I walk out this door and you decide to take this other offer and for some reason it falls through and you call me in a day, two, a week, and a month, I don't know that the offer is still going to stand. Because if they back out, You've just done some market research for me. You've told me that somebody came along with a better offer and they backed out. That makes me worried. Why did they back out? Did they learn something about the market? Did they do some research that I didn't do and they know that the house isn't worth at all what they're paying, which means maybe it's not worth what I'm paying. Now I have to look at it. And frankly, I'm going to go to another appointment when I leave here and I've got several more appointments this week and I don't have unlimited money. And so if I go to an appointment later today or tomorrow or later this week and I end up buying a couple of properties, I may not have the money to buy your property. So you can do whatever you want. You should do whatever you want. But my offer is good right now and I'm not leaving my contract with you. I'm taking it. If you don't sign it, I'm taking it with me. My offer is good right now. I can't promise it's going to be good once I walk out the door. It's your decision, but I'm ready to go right now. What is holding you up? What's your concern? That's what I would say. It's a little bit aggressive, but if they're going to try to leverage some offer that I, I'm not, it's a verbal offer, like verbal, verbal. Anybody can tell you anything, right? I can tell you I'll give you a million dollars. That doesn't mean I'm going to give you a million dollars. My offer is not verbal. It's in writing. It's right here. We're going to write it up and sign it. But if you don't want to, if you want to go on a verbal, go for it. But I've got other appointments and I've got money to spend. So totally up to you. All right. That's uh, that one. Okay. Corey, not exactly. Not combative. How do I combat the seller telling me? Okay. That, so that's that's what I would tell them. Verbal, fine. I, I wouldn't trust a verbal offer. Why won't they write it up? I'm writing it up right now. And, I'm, and if we don't write it up, I'm leaving. And I may go buy another property, which means I can't buy yours. So 
it's totally up to you, but don't call me tomorrow because if you call me tomorrow, then I'm, I may not be able to honor this offer. And frankly, if you call me tomorrow, I'll be honest with you as a, as a negotiator, I know you need my offer. And so I may not be able to have the same offer, right? It's a different position. You're putting me in a position of power and you shouldn't do that. So let's do it right now. Let's get everything you can get right now. This is not verbal. It's in writing. So that's how I would answer that, Corey. Hopefully it helps. You know, you got to, and you got to always, you know, I will say this when it comes to dealing with sellers, you have to gauge what they'll tolerate or a little bit their personality. And if they have sort of an aggressive personality, sometimes you have to mirror that a little bit, right? And you don't want this to escalate into argument for sure, obviously. Hopefully that goes without saying. But sometimes people who have like type A personalities, they will respect you more if you're a little bit type A too. Now, if their personality is very subdued and they're very timid and they're very soft-spoken and you go all type A on them, you're going to lose the deal because you're going to come off like a jerk. And so you can't do that, right? So you have to throttle back or kind of a little bit more depending on who you're talking to. And that some of that just goes back to being, being a really good salesperson and understanding how to, you know, how to mirror somebody, how to kind of take cues from them on how you should be um, reacting. If they start escalating with you, you got to be careful. It doesn't escalate too high, but sometimes you have to match that energy a little bit to kind of stay in the conversation. So, it, you know, there's a lot that goes into really, you know, that's why sales is a very nuanced thing and it's a very specialized thing. And I think a salesperson in, in your company, not necessarily you, Corey, but maybe you, but in anybody's company, a salesperson, that sales position is really important and it's important to get it right. If you're doing your own sales, you better be good at it. And if you're not good at it, you should be looking for someone to come in and do that for you. Okay, guys, that's uh, the time we have for tonight. Any questions that I didn't get to that were sent to me, we'll we'll do those next week. I appreciate you being here. Everyone that showed up on Instagram, uh, I'm looking directly at you now. Thanks for being here. I appreciate it. It was good to have you here. We did get some interaction there, so that was awesome. And for everyone on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and LinkedIn, all that, thanks for being here, guys. We'll be here next week at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. We'll see you next time. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.